You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, and I'm Nate McLennan. So learner agency is definitely trending right now. I did a quick search on Google Trends, and it shows a steady increase from the pandemic onward. And while it has shown up in literature, notably like psychology literature over the years, the term has exploded in learning models. It feels like every organization we work with is talking about how do we increase learner agency. And it's often associated with personalized and voice and choice and learner-centered approaches. The concept has become more and more important as we try to help young people find better purpose in their education. So at Getting Smart, we've written about place as an important foundation to develop context for learning. And then we dove into purpose. How do we drive learning into a more purposeful and relevant direction? And we, we've been thinking a lot about agency as the result of these high context and high purpose learning. So as we are exploring these ideas, our guests today, along with two other co-authors, released a really great, high-quality, timely, and practical playbook called Agency by Design, supported by the Aurora Institute, uh, Future Makers, and the New England Association of Schools and Colleges. So we're really excited to dive in and think about what we've been learning at Getting Smart and what you all learned by writing this playbook. And so welcome to Derek Wenmuth and Annette Thompson, both super experienced educators and have done tons of innovative work for young people. So Derek's been a teacher, a principal, distance educator, an education policy advisor in New Zealand and internationally, and is the founder of Future Makers. And Annette is an elementary school teacher and principal for 37 years. She was named the Arkansas Elementary Principal of the Year and an NAESP National Distinguished Principal in 2017. Currently, Annette's the CEO of Inquire Innovation. So they're both have made significant impact and continue to make significant impact for young people in the world of education. So Welcome to both of you. I'm excited for this conversation, and thanks for being here. Thanks, Nate. It's uh, it's my pleasure, and uh, we, we look forward to the conversation. Thank you. I'm looking forward to talking with you today about innovative teaching and learning design. That's great. Well, thank you both. So I always like to, to figure out the journey that people have taken, and so I'm going to ask a little bit of a different question today than I normally do, and so my introductory question today is, when was a time in your life when you felt like you had agency in your learning. And so, and did this agency ebb and flow? So think about your journey to where you are now and where you had high agency and maybe low agency. And Annette, maybe start us off with, what's your thought about that? I would have to go back to an experience I had about 1975. It was when I was a third grade student. It was either third or fourth grade, but my teacher had had taught us about simple machines. And then she just opened it up and said, you can learn about any simple machines, but you have to create. So decide on any simple machine you want to learn about, but you have to research it. You have to design a creation and you have to present to others about how your machine works to solve a problem. And I thought that was so fascinating. And I was so totally engaged in all of it because we even got to sit wherever we wanted instead of rows and things like that. So I was just hooked from the beginning. That was my first experience with agency. And it's amazing how when you have an agentic experience like that in learning, how sticky it is. So that was when you were in second or third grade, right? So we all have these experiences. So curious, Derek, um, what was what, what was a high agency learning experience for you? So my, my experience is a little bit like Annette's. Um, it goes back a decade earlier, I'd have to say. Uh, but it was the same thing in school in the 1960s. And I was at, a, at what we would call a middle school in America. It's called an intermediate here in New Zealand. Um, 
And I was in a class that had a, a lot of privilege. We were selected to be in this particular class, and we were uh, introduced to our teacher for the year. Uh, and his first words to us was, well, you're all pretty good learners. He says, I'm not sure that I need to be here telling you lots of stuff. So we're going to co-design the curriculum for the whole year. And he introduced us to the skills of brainstorming and teasing out ideas. We had a chalkboard full of, of ideas of things that we would genuinely like to work towards and study. And that was our experience through the entire year. We designed and developed the curriculum. He sat behind us to help us with the skills and areas that we, we needed them. You're like, how do you note take? How do you investigate? How do you research? But we, we had some fun this year. And at the end of the year, we as a class designed our own field trip. And we went for a bus tour around the entire South Island of New Zealand. We fundraised for it. We planned where we went. And remember, this was all before the internet. So there was a lot of letter writing and phone calls and things that we had to do as part of it. It was fabulous. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I thought about my own question as well, and I, I was thinking about out-of-school learning experiences. So at some point in my past, I've been interested in carpentry, and so I got into building furniture. And when I thought about that, I, I realized that was full agency learning. When we make choices to go learn about something and create something that's useful for someone else or for yourself, um, it happens all the time. The agency happens to people all the time. It just doesn't often happen in schools as we've defined them. And it seems like that's the point you're starting to get at with this with this agency by design is how do you do this well in schools? So so let's get at defining agency. It is a term that's thrown around all the time. I know in the agency by design playbook, you're really explicit about what that means. So Derek, maybe start us off with, with how are you defining it in a really succinct way? Yeah, I think um, very succinctly, we use a dictionary definition, really, and extrapolate that, that if you have a sense of agency, it means that you've actually got choices available to you. But it's not just about having the choices. It's also about being empowered. You've got the skills, the knowledge, the capabilities to actually act on those choices. And I think it's important for me that those things link together because in schools often we find teachers provide a bit of a smorgasbord. They provide their students with choices about things to do. But when you think about it, it's the teacher who has designed what those choices are. And it's the teacher who designs how those choices will be acted on. And sometimes students are prevented from being able to follow some of those choices because they're limited in the skills or the abilities or whatever that they have. So true agency is, is working towards that unique pinnacle, in my view, where the choices are there and you're able to act on them. This idea that it's not just about choice, but you have to have the skills and capacity to act on that choice. Uh, and so, you know, maybe it's empty agency is where we have to avoid that where, you, oh, yeah, you have a choice, but you don't have any idea of how it works or how you might do that. Annette, would you agree with that? Or what would you add to this definition? Oh, absolutely. Students have to understand who they are as learners and how they learn best, how they network with others. And the teacher is explicit in creating those conditions for that to happen. And so I think agency is when students act upon what they know, or they can even tell the teacher what worked for them and what didn't work for them in that lesson, or where they would like to learn in the school or in the different learning zones. So it's, it's and it's also really being careful to take care of others in the learning process, be respectful to others as a learner. Right. And we're going to get to that, the sort of the others piece here, because I'm really interested in this idea of agency is as the individual, but agency is also part of a community. So we're going to hold on that for a second. 
Um, Annette, uh, thinking about a- agency, um, this idea of of feel like feeling agency, meaning I feel like I have control, meaning compared to exerting agency, I'm actually doing something about it. Do you all just did you discern about those two things, or do you have any thoughts on? Is there a difference? Um, does it matter? What are your thoughts on that? Oh, I absolutely think there's a difference. You can feel like you have ownership and power, but when you act upon it, that's when you just become so engaged in the process that you transform your own learning. So I've seen it happen in students when they become excited and empowered about a project, a passion project that they're working on. They take ownership and they become a leader of leaders. And we describe that in our book as competencies for life. So it's when you really start to see the student take charge of their learning, that's when um, you can see that they are not just feeling the agency, but living it. Doing something about that. Derek, uh, agency, always positive? Is it a neutral thing? Um, we, we always think about it as a positive attribute, uh, I guess, this idea that agency happens. But could you use agency and go in the wrong direction? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, agency is fundamentally a positive thing, but it's the abuse of the opportunities that sometimes are presented when you are given choices and make choices that can lead it to being negative. And that's where the role of the, the educator and the, the, the careful um, design that we, we focus on in the book becomes important. There's a, there's a resource that we link to in the book, and it's on the Future Makers website from the Student at the Centre organisation um, that I, we find really helpful that, that talks about a, like a continuum of that development from where we're simply focused on giving students the voice in what they are doing, um, you know, listening to their right through to where they, they participate more, they accept responsibility to where finally we're thinking about them in full agentic practice as where they are exerting leadership uh, of themselves and others. So I think it's really important to, to understand this is not just a, an on-off switch. This is something that's about growth, it's about development, and it's about maturity through that process. I really like this idea. I always think about entry points and making sure that our listeners understand that this isn't agency doesn't mean suddenly releasing all students to do whatever they want, whenever, uh, whenever they want. Um, you could start agency by just having students write goals and reflecting on those goals or making a voice and choice or having voice and choice around small things. And there's some sort of continuum that I think, especially students who who have been in a compliance based system for a long, long time, which is many, many students, is there's some sort of gradual release as you develop agency in young people. So as you think about that and how you've defined agency, um, what are some examples of, of specific examples of learners or schools or systems that have agency deeply embedded? And both of you started this pod with examples from your own lives, but what about observations? Um, Annette, maybe we'll start with you. Something that strikes you as, wow, this place or this person, this teacher, this experience was high agency. Well, I have to give a shout out to my friend and colleague, Dr. Shelley Pogue at John Tyson Elementary in Springdale, Arkansas. She went to New Zealand with us for the, the learning journey where we studied 
innovative teaching and learning practices. But since 2017, Shelly and her team have been really implementing student agency to high levels. So students do podcasts and passion projects, and and they do their projects around how they can help make other people's lives better. Also, I have to give a shout out to the school that I opened in 2021, Dr. Jim D. Rollins Elementary School of Innovation. And because that school started from the ground up with the ideas that we had learned about how to build agency. Right. I love to see those that are in that progression. And I like hearing that in those examples that the the increase in agency also leads often, if done right, into an increase in student proficiency and outcomes. And I think that's an important relationship. Uh, Derek, what would you add to this? Good examples. Yeah, a, a couple of quick ones. I, I'm married to an early childhood educator, so I've just clocked up 40 years this year, and I've had agency hurled at me by her ever since we were married. And it's interesting to me that the concept of agency, that's where I learned it. I learned it by reading a lot of her textbooks. Uh, it wasn't in my training, but I learned it. And when I observed her at work with those young kindergarten students, um, they, that was agency at its most outstanding. The tasks, the opportunities, the choices that students had and the ability then to act on choices. What really stuck out for me was the role of the educator in all of that. They weren't sitting over having a cup of coffee and just watching the kids play. They were really actively involved. Uh, in, in we use a frame in New Zealand often. We say they are actively involved in noticing what's happening, recognising the education value in that, and then choosing how to respond to that in ways that will help the learners grow and activate. And I must say, profoundly affected by that, that's what I've taken into the work that I've done now in in elementary and secondary schools in New Zealand and other parts of the world. Uh, You just can't beat that. I appreciate the call out to early childhood. Both my kids who are now in high school and college, they both went through Reggio programs, Reggio Emilia programs. And those places are high agency. Every day, my kids came home saying, this is what we did. We were able to do this, et cetera, et cetera. And the teachers truly were facilitators in this process. Uh, and so, so I appreciate that. I often find that early childhood is the most innovative and progressive of our learning environments. And that may decrease as the students get older, unless we pay attention like we all have. When you, when you really analyze, and a lot of the activity in our book is based around this, is getting teachers and, and education leaders, superintendents, school principals, and that, to, to reflect on the extent to which we have claimed the ownership of everything that happens, which is so disempowering for students. And so using the language of shifting the ownership is a helpful way of starting that journey towards agency, because you can just start chipping away like you suggested before. Having students suggest topics they can learn, having students provide feedback or reflective comment on the work of their own work or the work of some of their colleagues. These are all indicators of how we can slowly shift that ownership across. Right. And that you make a key point is that it's not just compliance of the learners in the school, but compliance by the teachers and I would also argue that it's compliance by the leaders, the principals, the assistant principals, et cetera. So everybody's operating in this frame. And so when you talk about shifting the frame, as you're talking about in New Zealand, of um, this noticing, recognizing, and responding, and then overall, this idea of ownership of learning, I really appreciate that. So, okay, so we have a key point here about ownership of learning helps develop agentic environments in schools if we start shifting that towards learners. 
let's so so I want to go back to this point about um, Annette. I'm going to ask you this one first, but thinking about agency is often about thinking about self. It's about what I believe I can do and how do I act on that. It's about voice and choice and things about self. And yet learning and the worlds and how we interact with the world is very collaborative and community-based. And so how did you think about that when you were writing this playbook around the individual versus community? And you alluded to a little bit to this before. So maybe I, I'm wondering if you could just um, talk about this a little bit more. Yes, we really focus on, of course, knowing who we are as learners, but how we take care of others in the learning environment, because it's we need each other to network and be stronger. So if we're really paying attention to what I need as a learner, but what my peers need, and, and really take feedback from my peers on how well I did on a project, we learn how to collaborate better. So we, we're focused and intentional about take care of each other, take care of these, this place, and then be vulnerable as a learner. It's okay to not know, and it's okay to take risks. And I've got my peers with me who can take risks with me and um, not laugh at me and things like that. So really teach the children how to build each other up and celebrate the successes of others. So is it part of the responsibility of when you are have more agency and you're acting on that is I think what you're alluding to is that you have to consider others' community place along with that. It can't be done in isolation, meaning agency can't just be about bettering yourself. It has to be about improving the community at writ large. Yeah, I, I want this is this is foundational to the the mission of future makers. Really, um, we, we we've got to take a view if we're preparing our young people to thrive into the future. We've got to understand that that world is going to be very different from what we experience. It's going to have different challenges and the skills and abilities that they're going to require to function. And, and to thrive in that world and to seek the solutions for the problems that we've been pretty good at creating for them is going to require a lot of both individual and collective effort. And um, in the book, uh, one of the things we, we've got a whole section on identifying the, what we see as the three dimensions of agency, and they focus on that concept of responsibility, that I have to be responsible to myself, which means that when I'm agentic, I don't put myself in harm's way. I don't make choices that are going to damage who I am and, and my reputation or my health and well-being, right? But then there's also the responsibility to others because if I don't take that into account, basically it's not about agency, it's about hedonism. You know, it's it's just, you know, what's in, what is in it for me? So that responsibility to others means bringing people on the journey with me and me going on the journey with them. It means being mindful and empathetic to the needs of others and embracing the fact that other people may think, live, act and feel differently to me. Uh, that's really, really important. And so that brings into focus in how do we resolve conflicts and the things that uh, those differences might lead us to um uh, not being able to get on at some time, you know, that, and if you think about those bigger problems and issues that they're going to face in that future world, these are going to be fundamental because if you look around the world at the moment, we've got a generation of people who aren't very good at that, right? But there is a third dimension and um, Annette alluded to that too and you did in your, in your earlier introduction and that is the importance of place in us. There is a responsibility then that we collectively have to the environment that we share because we just can't go on exploiting 
the environment that is ours to, to meet our, our individual or collective needs and expect it will sustain itself. It starts to put a different lens on how we might attempt to address things like climate change, like um, you know, energy production, uh, uh, like rubbish and garbage, overuse of plastics, et cetera, et cetera. So those three things to me are really central to it. Yeah, I, I, I'm ready to jump up and down and, and cheer. I feel like when you, when you look at the world, and certainly it's biased by media because we hear about all the negative things and not all the positive things like the work that both of you do. But this, this idea about imagine if every learner, the agency was brought out in them and they were able to act on it to take care of themselves, to take care of others, and to take care of the world around them. Fundamentally, the world would be a better place. Right. So so I, I see this as really foundational work that you're talking about. And the dimensions really capture that, those three different dimensions. And okay. I'd like, yeah, go ahead, Annette. I'd like to add to that is that we have to be explicit about it. We have to take the time to talk, take the time to have the meeting, the morning meetings and the, the community, um, like the, your little your learning community meetings to talk about how, what do we do when we disagree with someone? How do we work together as a team when I like my idea, but she likes her idea? Those kinds of things don't just happen in an elementary setting. We have to give the time to the children and the teachers to help facilitate those conversations. So I think that's key too, is that we take the time to talk about those things in the community. And if I might interrupt, Nate, because this is we're on a roll, I think also we have to think about learning outside of the school boundaries. This is not just about what happens inside. It's we've got to make sure that that articulation is with the parents and the community members we have. And a, a quick illustration, if I may, I've just finished the last 10 weeks working in a school I've worked with for the last couple of years. But in the last 10 weeks, all of the groups in the school, which was very traditional, very high poverty in, in the US terminology, had a lot of things to go. We'd we just exploded it open and gave students the opportunity to make choices about what they'd learn and set their own projects and things. And that meant that they were engaging, but not just with their parents and family, but also with community. And, you know, one group was looking at the production of electricity and whether that was going to hold out. And it got them talking about local with local electricity production providers. It looked at all sorts of things that they could do then to save electricity or to use alternative forms. And the then at the end, they had parents coming in to look at what they had produced. And the parents started to get engaged in, in totally different ways. And I think that's, to me, the sign of the true success of a journey that you take when you're trying to become uh, and promote more agentic learning in your classroom. Right. I, I appreciate that, that we talk a lot about expanded ecosystems of learning, uh, getting smart and um, and I, I did a bunch of work in the school that I worked at for many years was what we call the place-based. So getting out in the community and uh, that hits on that third dimension, right? The, that that contributions to place or, or engagement in place and also the second dimension of with others. And, and then again, we're giving, if we can give young people over and over again, we can give them experiences where they can feel their sense of agency, act around it, around these three dimensions. I think that what your playbook is brilliantly articulating is this is the work we need to do. And it's, of course, they need the skills and knowledge to help support the work that they're doing. But skills and knowledge alone won't affect and impact the future in a positive way. So let's talk a little bit, shift a little bit and talk about um, the cultural differences. And so 
in doing the research for this podcast, I I recognize or read in some research paper that the word agency doesn't exist in all languages. And so it made me think a little bit is in your experiences, have you seen it look different in varied cultural settings or is it really universal and similar? Are we talking about the same thing across all different types of cultures? Um, maybe Derek, you start us off with that and then Annette add to yeah, that. I, I think my, my response would be at, at, a, at a broad philosophical level, this is, this is something that's un, innate in human nature. You know, we are, as, as individuals, we have curiosity about the world we live in. We, we, we are led to pursue inquiries into the things that interest us, right? And so in the in the classic culture of schooling that's, you know, come out of Europe and so forth, where compliance and conformity have been dominant in that area, we we look at agency and define it as we have in the playbook as, a, as almost a response to that, to try and readjust people's thinking and bring them back to the point where that's happening. My experience would be when you're thinking about other cultures, and particularly where I live in Aotearoa, New Zealand, um, we've got a great deal of emphasis on how we are addressing the needs of our Māori learners, the indigenous uh, peoples of New Zealand, who, who are quite highly represented through many of our schools. Um, and you're right, agency isn't a word that is a part of the vocabulary there, but in fact, agency is a part of how they are as, as culturally defined in the way that they have worked with each other. And a huge amount of uh, their alienation for many of those students from our conform and comply school system is because they are now no longer able to operate in the way that c- the cultural norms that they've been brought up with would enable them to to, uh, to work in. Yeah, I appreciate that. Annette, anything you'd add to that? Oh, I absolutely agree. Um, I was the principal of a school for 19 years that was in a high poverty um area in Springdale, a lot of the students were from the Marshall Islands and then also from Mexico and El Salvador. And I think what I learned most about that experience in that beautiful school was the being able to fully understand the culture of the people that live in the community around the school and embrace it and bring in the cultures and enhance um, the opportunities at the school by understanding where the children come from and what they bring to the learning. So, for example, the Marshallese students love to sing and they love to tell stories. And so making sure that our experiences that we're offering or the opportunities or choices that we're giving children have opportunities for them to bring that culture with them, the storytelling piece and the singing and the dancing to express how they've learned. So that's just a nutshell kind of thing, but really take time to learn about the community and the learners who come to you and um, don't be afraid to ask them about their cultures and, and be a learner because that's where the real joy of learning comes is when you really um, dig into what other people um, experience and what they bring to the community at the school. Yeah, certainly perspective. And I appreciate, again, it's, I'm going to go back to your dimensions, which have really resonated with me, this understanding of others. So agency doesn't operate in a void. And so whether you're someone who's thinking about your own agency and working with people of different backgrounds, that's understanding and empathizing and trying to um, uh, learn about, um, and also recognizing your own cultural backgrounds and identity and how that plays into agency. I'm going to ask one more question. We're going to switch gears a little bit even more before we close up. 
so we've all been thinking about artificial intelligence. ChatGPT has exploded on the scene in the last 10 months. Where do you predict agency will, will or will not be affected by the advent of AI? So Annette, you're going to start us off and then Derek, you can either reinforce or refute depending on how Annette answers. <laughs> I think that we really, I think it's exciting actually. Um, I think that if we can use AI as a tool to help us learn more deeply or research better, then I think that it could be a game changer for education, like for teachers and how they research what they're going to bring forth for lessons, but students also and how they can use AI to um, in their passion projects as far as how to help yourself understand a topic more deeply by being open to what AI could bring to you as a learner. So Derek, I'm not sure if that's what you were thinking as well. So, so you're leading up, you're leading your needles pivoting positive. Okay. So Derek, you get to decide if you're going to bring it back down to neutral or negative. What's your thought? But I think, um, and I'll illustrate, I think I, I would agree with Annette. I, I, I think I've watched students, and I'm, I must confess, I'm a big chat GPT user um, in, in the sense that I don't have a lot of friends close by. So I have conversations with chat GPT uh, just to help clarify ideas and to see what emerges. And I've watched the same behavior in many students in classrooms. Um, and, it, and it reminds me that, you know, no matter how effectively we develop uh, so-called personalized learning approaches, um, really the, the thing that we kind of, the trajectory we set for ourselves is nothing less than just one teacher with one student as, as being the ideal, which we'd never get to. And so one of the, one of the things that AI potentially helps is, is it bridges that gap. It creates a personal mentor or a friend and we see that happening with what's happening um with khan academy for example and some of the the work that they've been doing uh, at the other end of the scene I've, I've been working with a us-based company that's doing some pretty exciting stuff now with an ai enabled backend to a, a platform that draws a lot of information about a student together all the information about the external curriculum requirements the curriculum that might be localized, you know, the local um, area, what it has to offer. And within 30 to 40 seconds, we'll churn out an entirely individualized learning program complete with learning tasks and activities and the criteria that could be used to, to check that, which can be interpreted into a rubric then for a student. Now, no teacher can develop that in 30 to 40 seconds for every one of the 25 kids in their class. So I think... We do need to be looking positively at the opportunities that that creates. At the other end of the spectrum, however, this is a technology that comes with a horrendous amount of unknown um, you know, concerns and potential dangers. And so I link that in back to what I said about agency being responsibility for self. We have to be laser focused at the moment as educators on becoming as informed as we can about those uh, dimensions of agency and and help students to understand that there is with responsibility comes the risk and uh, it's it's a pretty big black hole here at the moment I think mm-hmm. and we talk about in our that in our book under the digital literacy section about being um, very aware as learners and so I think um, I still take the positive spin on it 
because I'm an elementary person, but (laughs) I think also just making sure that we are very aware of the negative aspects of it um, so that we use it for the right purpose. Right. And, and I think, so I would uh, support both of your theses here is I I see it as number one, we need to preach over and over again, wherever we can AI for good. So, so we, we, it can't just be AI period. It has to be AI for good period. And I think making, because it could go both ways and we all know that. And so, and uh, I think the second thing is, is that when you go back to the really, the first part of this podcast, when you defined agency, you did talk about the understanding and skills are critical part of agency. You, you need to have skills and have some knowledge to be able to act on an agency that you feel. And so ChatGPT and other tools uh, that are used to, to um, for students to access, they can help develop that at a much quicker pace, I think, Derek, like you're saying. I think in the next five years, we are going to get very, very close to some sort of one-on-one tutor-ish AI-empowered, especially for core skills around literacy and math. Then maybe sooner the students can go out and make a difference in their world, have the knowledge and skills to go make a difference, positive uh, effect and change. Nate, uh, you mentioned earlier that you were going to put some links with the um, the podcast, and it may be interesting to listeners um, it's not what's happening in New Zealand, but I'm involved with some of the work happening in Australia. And in Australia at the moment, they have really progressed a lot of this at a very big level, which may be of interest to uh, you know administrators and people there. So there's now a, a, a yeah, there is now actually a policy document for the whole of Australia for educators on the use of AI in in schools and um, in in districts. And then at each state level, each state is now producing a whole lot of guides and activities and professional learning and so forth to guide teachers in this thinking. And even in South Australia, um, they've even gone to the extent of developing their own app, which creates an, an environment which enables their teachers and students to engage with uh, generative AI, but without necessarily being exposed to some of the dangers in the, in the broader world. So they're very intentionally working to create safe spaces and safe engagement with that to build the skills and understanding. So Annette, first, um, in a succinct way, what is the most important takeaway? And added to that, who would you like to amplify? What school, what organization or person that is really making a difference in uh, young people's lives? Okay, I think first I would say, give it a go. Take risks, but you have, Derek's laughing because I learned that phrase in New Zealand, but take risks. And as a leader, it's okay to take those risks and you to, and support your teachers as they try these things, because they're looking to you as the leader to say, I've got you. Try it. If you mess up, okay. We're still trying to do better things for our learners. So I would say, give it a go, take risk and build trust. And within that, start with the culture start with the culture and be explicit about how and what it looks like when you're building agentic behaviors from the ground up. And again, I'd like to just give a shout out to my friend, Dr. Shelley Pogue um, at John Tyson Elementary School, because they are doing amazing things at that school. Fantastic. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. Derek, finish us off. Uh, One takeaway point and someone or something you'd like to amplify. Uh, Look, I think... um... My, I, I would, yeah. 
I would give two quick points to that. One is that the affective and the other is the cognitive response. I think as educators, we need to give ourselves a bit more space to reflect on our own experience as we did at the beginning of this podcast and understand how our own behavior has been shaped in one way or another and our expectations of learners and so forth by that experience. And from that, you'll actually learn a lot about your own level of agency. Cognitively, that I agree with what Annette said. It's it's about just start, just just take some small steps, and that's the the uh, intention of the playbook is to give some very precise guided start points on that journey of shifting the ownership of learning. Take the risks, buddy up with someone else that you can reflect on during that, so that you're not kind of lurching into a a big cavern somewhere, you take short risks, reflect on it, see how it works and make it work. And I think um, the shout out that I'd give would be um, actually a number of organisations that uh, that I've learned from over the years, including uh, Getting Smart, including KnowledgeWorks, um, uh, Aurora Institute, some of these groups that are seeking to pull together the, uh, the big ideas that are, are taking place. One that I would finish as a shout out is Transcend Education that I've been working with a lot more recently who are deliberately forming a very large kind of network, you know, that expanded ecosystem that you're talking about, Nate. And I think we learn a lot from each other. So there's no need in this world for teachers or even schools to feel isolated in this journey. I appreciate that. You named all of our friends in the space. So uh, we, we appreciate working with all those folks as well. Thank you so much. Here's a couple takeaways. I have to first, I'm going to have to do an amplification as well. So I uh, am intrigued by Orly Friedman's work out in California at the Redbridge School. Um, and she has built agency at the elementary school level as a very articulated progression. Um, so, so take a look at that. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Four things I want to take away that I took away here among a lot of things in this great conversation. One is this idea of agency is about purpose. It's about making the world better, making people's lives better. Uh, I really am intrigued by this the, this ownership of learning. And I think if every educator who's listening to this and principal and uh, superintendent, think about who owns the learning and what are the, the appropriate levels of ownership of learning. I think that's really important. Really appreciate the three dimensions. I encourage all of our listeners to go and download the document from Aurora. Uh, the, the playbook is wonderful and really thinking about responsibility to self and um, uh, the idea of agency about self, agency around others, this collaborative work, and then agency around place and the community and the world. And then the last is this idea that agency is empty unless there's skills and knowledge to support it. So we need to make sure that one comes with another. This idea of self-efficacy is, I know I can do this because I have the skills and knowledge to do it, and then I can go make a difference in the world. So both of you, uh, Derek and Annette, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate the work that you did on the playbook. I encourage everyone to go read it. And uh, if you have questions, reach out to both Derek and Annette. And in the meantime, we'll put a bunch of notes in uh, the podcast uh, blog when it comes up. So thanks so much and appreciate your time. Thanks for tuning in to the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at gettingsmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. 
Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.